a black executive perspective. Look, man, they didn't get a chance to play chess. They had to play checker. Let's talk about it, T. Openly and honestly. There was a lot of smart kids there. A black executive perspective. Now, my story's not unique. There's thousands of professionals of color who have experiences like mine. A black executive perspective. Whether you're aware of it or not, it's a topic that is often avoided. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. In this episode of Tony Tidbit and Friends, you'll discover the origins of the name Tony Tidbit, along with an insightful conversation on why is there still a glass ceiling. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit, and I've climbed the corporate ladder for over 35 years, so I'm ready to sit down, break down these barriers, and make these uncomfortable conversations comfortable. So our mission here is to have these uncomfortable conversations, to have open and honest dialogue that's going to help from a learning standpoint, educational standpoint, with our goal and mission to help bring the races together and become one race, the human race. That's right. And in each episode, we will sit down with compelling storytellers to hear their unique experiences, challenges, and triumphs on their pathway to success. In this episode, you will learn more about the hosts of BEP and discuss why there is still a glass ceiling. And you know what? So number one, that's our lovely co-host, the legendary Les Fry. All right. And I'm also here with our amazing executive producer, Adrian Alvarado who we call Double A. And again, I'm your host, Tony Tidbit. And we're excited to come back and meet with you again and give you a little bit more about who we are. And more importantly, we want to first, then we want to start diving into some of the content and some of the things that we really put this this, this podcast together about. It's why is there still a glass ceiling in corporate America in 2023? So like I said, we're excited to dive into this. You're going to learn more about myself, the amazing, I mean, the legendary Les Fry and the amazing Double A. Um, But before we get started, a couple of things I really want to talk to you guys about. You know, last week, excuse me, in our last episode, you learned the reason why we started this. We are very passionate about this content. We're very passionate about what we're trying to do. We want to be able, our goal is to bring everyone together. Well, hopefully we can all be one race, the human race. And for us to do that, we're going to need to be able to scale this podcast out to reach as many people as possible so we can touch those individuals and help educate those individuals. And the only way we're going to be able to do that, we're going to need your help, all right, to be able to scale this is by going to wherever you see this podcast and providing us a rating because that's going to help us scale. So really need your help there. Number two. Come to our website at a blackexecutiveperspective.com. Sign up for updates. This will allow you to be able to get an update when we're launching a new episode. You'll get a newsletter in terms of the content we're putting together. And soon we're going to be doing bonus content on all different type of things, which you don't want to miss. So definitely go to our website, www.blackexecutiveperspective.com and sign up and follow us on social, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Tony Tidbit, BEP. So 
Meet Tony Tippett and friends. And why is there a glass ceiling? So the legendary Les Fry, as she spoke in our first episode, and, and listen, I, I'll be honest with you, I heard a lot of good things. Everybody loved Les. So one of the things about Les, she talked a little bit about, you know, her background in terms of where she was from in St. Louis. And then she spoke a little bit about her European background. So I'd love for her to dive in and tell us a little bit more about the full Les Fry. All right. Well, uh, I think that at this age in my life, I, I decided that I would embrace all who I am because I don't feel that it is a tribute to our ancestors if we don't remember them. So many of us who identify or have, have lived the Black experience here in the United States, we identify as being Black or African-American, whatever you want to call yourself, but then we negate everyone else that came before us that made us who we are today. And one thing that's very important to me is my Indigenous heritage. So I have indigeneity on both sides of my family. I just recently uh, got involved with that community and embraced that community. But what it was that actually made me pursue that side of my family was when my mother passed away, I found myself being in the position of being the oldest matriarch of our family, of the Henderson family. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to go in and find out who we were, who our people were. As a result of me looking and searching uh, my DNA records, paperwork uh, that we have within the family, I found other family members. And incidentally, we were all Interestingly enough, we were all searching for this one indigenous woman, and her name was Julia. Mm -hmm. And Julia was uh, very significant in the survival of my great-great-grandfather, in which this family all comes from. So I felt really compelled to find her because I thought to myself, if I ever met that woman in the next life, she would ask me, why did we forget her? So it was important for me to look for her, to find her people, to find the rest of our family and embrace that side of ourselves that we weren't allowed to show our indigenous side. Um, we could go into a lot of detail in the, in the future about our U.S. census, how mm -hmm. a lot of us have been misidentified and misclassified. But I felt it's important that I embrace everybody in my family. My family is not the result of a situation where most African-Americans find themselves in where we were we would have a master. We were given a last name by our master or there might have been some type of S.A. And I'm not going to say that word that occurred. That was the result of, of it of being a child. The relationships in my family were love relationships. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I owe it to my my Irish grandmother and my indigenous grandmother to remember them and to make sure that all of my nieces and nephews after that remember them too. That is awesome. And, you know, it's very important, you know, and, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about our D, DNA makeup. You just spoke a little bit about yours. Um, and, and, you know, until recently, a lot of us didn't know our, our full, you know, makeup. You're, you were blessed enough to be able to understand at a young age in terms of your full family history, but a lot of African-Americans um, don't know, right? Until we're able to, the technology came out. Um, and now we have a better understanding that, you know, a lot of us, even though we're dark skin or whatever the case may be, 
you know, our blood or our, our ancestry may not just be Afri African. OK, and it may not be African at all. <laughs> OK, it can be all over. And so so really appreciate you sharing that. And we're going to dive into that even further. Um, but last week you spoke, you know, our audience was able to learn a little bit about yours truly, you know, myself, Tony Tidbit and the legendary Les Fry. But a lot of people really didn't get to spend a lot of time with the person that, you know, puts the tech together and make sure the shot is done and make sure that, you know, we're looking as, 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 as handsome and beautiful um, that we're supposed to look <laughs> on this show. And that's our executive producer, you know, the amazing double A Adrian Alvarado. So I, we want you guys to be able to, to spend some time and, and get to know Adrian because he is has a wealth of history and background. So Double A, introduce yourself and, and, and tell the audience a little bit about you, my friend. Well, thank you very much, first of all. And stop it. Okay, just stop it. Buddy, I, I'm just trying to I'm trying to use up the $20 <laughs> you gave me before we started the uh, podcast. That's all I'm doing. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I greased you. Um, well, no, thank you. Well, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was born. Well, first of all, I, I you know, we, we met here. We live in the same town. That's mm -hmm. how we started uh, getting to know each other and our families. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, somehow this this, this podcast started uh, to uh, to grow. And, and now it's a, a reality. You know, it's a live, living, breathing thing. Mm -hmm. But a little bit about where I'm from. I'm from, I was uh, born in, you know, in the, the heart of New Jersey, downtown Jersey City. First generation Puerto Rican, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, my parents and my grandparents came here in the 50s. After the war, going back and forth, there's a whole assimilation that a lot of us Puerto Ricans went through. My journey has led me to uh, become an actor, an author, and now a producer alongside you in this exciting podcast. And my formative years were, you know, unfolded in the vibrant urban landscape of the 80s and 90s in Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, which is, uh, you know, I mean, you can just categorize it as a multicultural, just freaking mel melting pot mm. of people. So I grew right. up. I grew up with all, you know, with the whole spectrum of Italians, Polish, Irish, Black, I mean, Asians, Egyptians. So my background is very, very multicultural and, and vast. So, buddy, so number one, thank you for that. And, and you know, last week, Les and I talked about our turning point um, in terms of when we first, as young children, um, real, when race was first put upon us as young children, and that, you know, kind of woke us up. To the understanding of what we would be dealing with yeah. uh, the rest of our lives. So we'd love to pose that question to you too. Growing up in New Jersey, tell us a little bit, what was your turning point when it came to, to race? Yeah, my pivotal turning point was when that, that began my journey into a deeper understanding of, of race relations and self-identity. It happened when I was working at a pizzeria as a kid. I was about 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I just vividly recall, you know, I was like folding boxes, you know, I, just, I would just run errands and do stuff, you know, I'm folding boxes, I'm watching TV. This was the video, this was the music video era. And, uh, and I was humming this song, uh, but it's an 80s song by this singer called uh, Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer. Yeah. Huh? You do know, you know Rick Derringer less? <laughs> the great yes, Rick Derringer. Rick, let's know. That's okay. my era. That you, yes. yes. So he had a song called I Am A Real American, right? And in the video, uh, the great uh, Hulk, legendary Hulk Hogan, the wrestler Hulk Hogan, was like playing the rock guitar in it, mm -hmm. right? And he's like, damn, a real American, something like that. And then we had a delivery guy, this Italian kid. He was about 18, 19. 
And he approaches me. He's like, hey, Chino, you're not a real American. You're a Puerto Rican, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was like, you know, it kind of struck me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm Puerto Rican, but what do you mean I'm not a real American? You know, I was born here. You know, I pledge allegiance every day. I don't know. I, I know I know my history. What, what are you talking about? So it sort of struck me. And I mean, you know, in that moment, I mean, I was such a kid. I didn't know what he meant. It kind of pissed me off. Right. But as I got older and I started thinking about that, I mean, he was right to a degree. But that's what began my journey to discovering, okay, who am I? You know, why is he saying I'm not a real American? Oh, because maybe the rest of the world, won't, when I say, hey, I'm from America, they'll go, no, no, but where are you from? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because maybe I guess the typical American doesn't look like me, um, which is, you know, untrue. Uh, but that's that's kind of what be, began my journey, you know. Wow, buddy. Wow. And so you, when you were saying that he probably was right, like, what what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you know, I didn't understand it at the time, mm-hmm. but, you know, as I started studying about what being Puerto Rican meant, you know, I was raised in a single home, you know, most of my life with the uh, Spanish speaking. My mother spoke Spanish. My dad's first language is Spanish. So when they spoke English, they speak with a very thick accent, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not. That's not what your typical American sounds like. So I know, well, I know what he means. I know I come from Puerto Rico, but I know Puerto Rico is part of the United States. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, there's this whole history and whatever, whatever. But I'm like, okay, well, what does he really mean? Mm-hmm. He meant that, you know, that I'm not a white American, right. pretty much. You know, right. but right. just right. call right. it what it is. Right. He said, well, you know, you don't have the look, you know, blonde, blue eyes, or your typical, you know, next door neighbor, you know, you're not an American, red-blooded American. So no. you couldn't sing the song. <laughs> so I couldn't, no, I couldn't say I'm a real American. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. That's what the song P- was, P- right? What the hell? What do you mean? <laughs> okay, buddy. And, and so let me ask you this. Um, you know, yes, we met. We were, Our families know each other. Our kids go to school together. Why did you invest the time to come here and and really work on this podcast? Well, you know, ultimately, you know, my 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 life, my career is always about giving back, right? Just always, you know, whether I'm, you know, helping the next fellow actor along the way, giving advice, you know, uh, I've been in the hospitality industry, whether it's training the next person up, you know, giving whatever little tricks I learn. Like it's always about, you know, just sort of wanting to help. Um, so I feel like we needed to, you know, I wanted to do something, you know, mm-hmm. and when you, when you mentioned this podcast, I remember when you started this conversation, uh, I, you know, I mean, I was like, I'm all about it because I, you know, I mean, we, we have similar backgrounds per se, you know, we have different, you know, you're a little, you know, a different generation. Yeah. You're a different generation. Right. Mm-hmm. But we share similar, uh, views. Uh, <laughs> Dude said, I'm different. You're a different generation. <laughs> means, I mean, you old. Means you're older than me. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I mean, he said it very politely though. I, I like the way, I like his verbiage in terms of like, a different generation, well, generation, but we have a right? lot of things in common, we have right? A lot of things in common. Uh, but I was just compelled to just, you know, be a part of it, uh, share, you know, uh, magnify your voice because I feel, you know, the work that you do, the way you're passionate about it is just very unique and real and honest. And I just, I just want to be a part of it, you know? Awesome. But well, look, we're, I know I can speak for less, but we're excited that you're here, my friend, because you, you, you know, you, I, I don't want to sound like uh, Tom Cruise, but you complete us. Okay. You complete us, right? We can't do this without you. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're, you're awesome. We love you and we're glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. So let me ask you this though. Les kind of spoke a little bit about this earlier when she, she gave homage to her, 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 her 
her in, indigenous grandmother and her European grandmother, right? The total makeup of, of, of who she is. You, you talked a little bit about being, you know, from Puerto Rico. Do you know your DNA? Is it, are you a 100% um, Puerto Rican? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Theoretically, I'm 100. Less is laughing. I'm like, laughing. I'm like, <laughs> th- theoretically, I'm. No, 100 percent. I didn't think well, so, well, but you I was never about know. To school, I, was about, I was about to school. <laughs> I was about to school. School me. School me. Well, I am 100 percent Boricua, as we say, theoretically. <laughs> uh, but when you translate Puerto Rico, I mean, when you really think about it, it means rich port. <laughs> you know. Um, so you know, we are made up. I did do my DNA. I couldn't wait to do it. Uh, especially after, you know, that, that when we go back to my conversation about my turning point, you know, it led to me really wanting to know what, who a Puerto Rican is. Cause I just knew I was from this Island and, you know, we, we, you know, we love music and salsa and we cook really good and, you know, and, and, and all the women, you know, are really pretty and all this stuff and the guys, and the guys look pretty good too. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh my but, God. but I knew, but I knew it was deeper than that, you right? Know? So you know, obviously the history of Spain. So it starts there. So yeah, I am I am a fifty percent Spanish, and then uh, it starts to break down into fifteen percent. It goes into fifteen percent uh, West African uh, from Senegal, mm-hmm. which is my grandmother's side. My grandmother, uh, so you know, had you know was brown skin. Mm-hmm. You know, she was an Afro Latina, mm-hmm. um, and then we get into some you know native here from Northeast Caribbean, like the Northeast. Uh, about 15% of that. Uh, and then you actually have some, you know, just European, you know, mix of, you know, Jewish, Italian, Ger- you know, a little German. So I'm all over the place. I'm a rich port. <laughs> well, I love it, buddy. And, and it, it, you, you, based on what you just got finished saying is what we talked about in the beginning of our episodes when we come on, right? We want to, you know, the goal is to make this about the human race, right? And you just encapsul- encapsulated that, right? That, yep. And Les talked a little bit about that as well. You know, Les, you know, when you were talking about, you know, your indigenous heritage, right? We, we have a, I believe October 9th is, is a, is a, is an indigenous heritage day. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's a fairly new holiday, actually, where we recognize indigenous people. Now we do have indigenous heritage month or native American heritage month that Mm -hmm. comes up in November. But this is a day where we remember the contributions of indigenous people worldwide. Um, and it's just not here in America. And, mm-hmm. you know, ironically enough, indigenous people, uh, just like black people here, African people have contributed to the wealth success of every European society. Mm-hmm. So this is a day that you go and you recognize these people. You speak about our issues. You, you, you highlight the issues within the community. Uh, every year I go to Washington, D.C. Well, actually, I shouldn't say every year because last year was my first time doing it. Where I go to Washington, D.C. and we do, a, 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 you know, a remembrance ceremony for all of the people who came before us. So we are actually going to be doing a podcast. Yes, we are. Day, mm-hmm. uh, to give a little bit of a history about Indigenous Peoples Day, um, what it is, how you can celebrate it, how you can support other Indigenous communities out there. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, listen, I, I, you did that when we, we've known each other now four years and you did that, uh, on one of my conversation on race sessions, you know, I think the first year that we put it together. Right. And you blew everybody away, including yours truly. So our audience, you do not want to miss that on October 9th, 
the legendary Les Fry is going to talk about, I mean, she, she breaks it down. So if you want to learn and you want to educate yourself, all right, and really know about indigenous people, the day, the history, the, the misnomers, the myths, the whole nine yards, the legendary Les Fry is going to educate you. So definitely October 9th, come and join us and you'll be able to talk about it. Right. And, you know, so, so number one, thank you for that. Number two, you know, when I, um, my, I think it was a few years ago, my, uh, my, my daughters bought me, um, is it you and me? Uh, what is 23 and me? Thank you. 23 and me, uh, DNA. As I said, you and me, I'm singing songs and stuff. <laughs> and me. <laughs> is it you and me? It was them, then me. Yeah, yeah, you and me, right? Yeah, you and me, baby. So, so <laughs> 23 and me, right? And um, I did, I got my results. I did it and I got my results. And, uh, you know, listen, um, I'm, I'm no different. I, However, I had a high percentage. I think it was 70, 72% of, from North Africa. Okay. Uh, but the other key was I was 15% Irish. Okay. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's a history behind that. Tell us, uh, talk to me. I, I want to hear that. But what's interesting about your Irish heritage is that a lot of people here in the United States that uh, identify as black or live the black experience have an Irish heritage. And why is that? Because the Irish and the Italians, when they came here as free people, let's talk about the Irish in particular. Mm -hmm. um, in, in my family, they came here during the potato famine, which was a, a time of great poverty in Ireland. So a lot of people migrated to the United States to try to make it for themselves. When they came here, they were extremely impoverished. And they basically intermingled with our African-American community, worked on, um, you know, building things together. They were craftsmen. They were a community. There was no white and black. It was more about a socioeconomic status. Right. So you see, you saw a lot of intermarrying that happened between those people that came here from Ireland and, and black people, which I'm the product of that as well. Yeah. I mean, so, go ahead and do us. No, but, but this is, this is the point I was trying to make. It did not become a white and black issue um, until later. As I've said before, a race is a new construct. That is something that did not happen in before the 1600s. Mm -hmm. So it was all about the haves and the haves nots. So people intermingled often. Um, I remember seeing a uh, an old uh, newspaper clipping where they had people coming from Germany that were selling themselves into indentitude for like seven years. Seven years. And they were used. They were they they called them slaves. Mm -hmm. German people. They were slaves. They worked for seven years. They were you know, blacksmiths or whatever, they just did a service for a master for seven years and then they were able to go out and have their own businesses and stuff. So what we know as white, black, Hispanic, all of that stuff is new stuff, you all. And 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 we're going to dive into that because that is very important to understand. So we're gonna do this is gonna be one of our episodes further down the line. Well we're gonna we're gonna talk about where did color come from because to the legendary Les Fry, it, it, it didn't start off that way. So thank you for that. And I, I appreciate the history um, from the Irish uh, standpoint. But yeah, that was that was very, you know, it was it was I don't say it was eye opening. I mean, you don't have to be, um, you know, once the DNA stuff started coming out and everybody started getting tested, you know, for the majority, all of us, we're all mixed up one way or the other. So it was um, 
it was it was very educational and it was awesome. You know, no. and you're starting to laugh though, <laughs> no, right? Because buddy? I, I don't want to interject, but I had a funny story. Go ahead, buddy. I had a buddy of mine, uh, an actor friend who who, who would always say <laughs> he would always say he was a you know a, a quarter a third por- Portuguese. You know, he's from Northern California. You know. He said, like, oh, yeah, I'm a quarter Portuguese. He would wear that badge all the time. And then when the DNA came out, he was like 99% basically like wasp. He's like, I couldn't be anymore. Why? Buddy. He was so upset, actually. He was so mad. Listen, that, that, that happened to me because my mother and, and everybody was saying, Tony, you, you have Indian blood in you. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You're indigenous. And then it was 70-something percent North African and 15% um, you know, uh, Ireland, right? So, you know, that's why you you can say whatever, all right, until mm-hmm. you get the test. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Les. But the test is not the test is not a uh, um a positive of what I would say a com, uh, complete science. Because remember, you get chromosomes for each of your parents. So you may you may have indigenous blood, your friend might have Portuguese heritage. The thing is that you didn't inherit those chromosomes. So the best way for you to find out the truth is to go back into family records and uh, census reports and stuff like that. Wow, good stuff. Mm, really? Interesting. Okay. Interesting. There you go. Yeah, I probably went through there my you mother's go, Tom. side. Now right? you know, Tom. You can go figure <laughs> yeah, it out exactly. if you're listening. Exactly. Exactly. So so uh, real quick, you know, obviously we want to make sure that our audience, you, you guys, we've all been given our background. We talked about our turning points, where we come from, Detroit, Michigan, you know, Jersey City. St. Louis, you know, we talked about our DNA, but let's have a little, uh, some little fun before we get really more, a little bit more serious, because obviously we do a lot of stuff and we we're like everybody else. We like to watch stuff and do stuff and, and, you know, have different type of hobbies. So let's share with our audience who wants to start off first. Double A, you want to, you want to kick it off? Yeah. Okay. Les, I have a question for you. So uh, what is your favorite? Well, I was going to ask you this at first, but then when I find out, you were a gamer. I'm like, what is your favorite video game? I have to say my all-time favorite replayable video game is Mass Effect. Mass Effect 1 and 2 being my most favorite. Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I love that game so much. Uh, I think what it was what I loved about it is that you could create the main character to look just like you. They banned this game in China. Because you can play as a male or a female. And there's a species in this game because this is about intergalactic travel and a, a, a uh, commander that, that's fighting off this alien force. Um, there's a, a species in this particular storyline that is, um, what's what I would say? They don't have, they, they, they could, they're male or female. They're, I, don't, I can't explain what they look completely female. Okay. You know, but they are male or female. And the reason why they banned it in China, because if you were playing as a female, it kind of appeared as if it was a, a, a same sex relationship. This was communistic China. Eventually, the game did come back on the market and something allowed people to play it. But because I played as a female, I also, there was a sequence in there where there's this love relationship between this alien and your character. So I always tell everybody it was my first lesbian relationship. Because, yeah, I, I screamed through the whole thing. I was like, oh my God. But just understand, the, the, the game is so good. It's so good that I actually picked this game up two weeks ago and played it again. And it is graphically just gorgeous. Just 
a complete package of a game. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Cool, 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 okay. cool. All right, Les, who you wanna who you wanna pick on here? All right. Well, I I gotta ask Double A something else since uh, he asked me. So Double A, if you had to pick a particular actor that you thought says it all, does it all, is the best all, who would that actor be? Hmm. That's a good one. That's a good question because you know we have our heroes, Marlon Brando and and and, and um, John Leguizamo and, and you know people who are very versatile. But I would say overall, talent-wise, currently the person I've seen acting uh, over the last 30 years would be Christian Bale. Now, why Christian Bale? I think he's very, I mean, he's, I mean, talk about versatility. You know, he's, I mean, he's, I think he's done it all. <laughs> you know, yeah, I would say as far as talent-wise, male, he's with Christian Bale. Female actress side, I would say... Uh, Kate Blanchett is one of my my current favorite actresses. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why Kate? Why Kate Blanchett? I I think she's just so classic. I don't know. This is something about her and the way she, you know, she just approaches her craft. Uh, she has a saying that I, I always comes to my head when I when I get prepared to do something, and when I heard her say it in an interview, it just always stuck with me. She says, "I'm here, I'm ready, and I'm open." You know, and I always try to remind myself whenever I'm I'm, I'm doing a job or, or, or getting ready to perform or, or or try out for something. You know, I'm here and I'm ready and I'm open for whatever happens. Okay, cool, buddy. That's awesome. Yeah, so I think those two, those are great, great actors. All right, Tony. What's well, okay? What What's your favorite movie, Tony, and why? So yeah, I mean, anybody who knows me knows this is The Godfather. I'm a big Godfather fan. I just love the whole mm. thing about the Godfather, um, the family aspect, the business aspect. It was, it's just more real world in terms of all things um, that people deal with, right? And even the, the, the moral aspect, right? Where, you know, your, your, your compass says, I'm doing what I need to do to protect my family, right? And you believe in God and you take your kids to get baptized and but then you're murdering people at the same time. <laughs> and uh, so to me, you know, and that's, and, and, and I remember one of, and obviously there's a lot of uh, great uh, dialogue in the movie. So I'll tell you one, but there's a ton of stuff I can go to, but one, one, um, one line epitomizes what I was just after talking to uh, Godfather two, right. Where um, the Senator, um, um, who, you know, says that, you know, he plays that, you know, Italian people are great. And then behind the scenes, he's telling Michael, we don't want your people here. <laughs> and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And don't ever talk to me again. You know, go through my middleman, you know, we, I, and, 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 and the, um, and then how does he say it? He says, and how do you, you know, parade and, and put on this big, uh, 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 false narrative about your whole, and I'm, I'm just going to say whole family, right? And Michael looks at him and says, Senator, you and I are of the same. I forget the word that he used, but he says, you and I are of the same uh, uh, something. Is but he was help? basically saying that, buddy, you're doing the exact same thing. <laughs> right? The exact same thing. And you're a senator. Right. So so it, it just it really just that's why it's a favorite movie of mine. And, and, you know, now I remember the word he said, Senator, you and I are of the same hypocrisy. 
That's what he was saying. Right. I loved it because he, it was, it's, it's factual. So, you know, um, that's my favorite buddy. I want to dive in a little bit because obviously, you know, everybody, this podcast is, you know, Tony tidbit. People call me Tony tidbit. Our social handles are Tony tidbit BEP. Uh, so you, people may say, oh, why, why are you, why do you call yourself Tony Tibbet? Where did that come from? So I just want to give a little background on that because, you know, that's also, you know, all these little things add up and they, they all come together. And, and, you know, back in 2000 and I think it was 2008, that's where the Tony Tidbit, uh, how should I say, brand started, okay? And from there to where we are now is just amazing, and I never saw that. But back in 2008, I was working for um, a startup. I was, you know, as you guys know, I'm in the advertising industry. I was working at this startup. I was employee number 42. By the time I got there, we were, you know, probably a $10, 12000000 million dollar, uh, company in terms of revenue, um, and then, you know, by the time I left five and a half, almost six years later, we, we were about $150 million in revenue. But the name Tony Tippett started back in 2009. So, you know, one of the things I've always been a positive and inspirational individual, very uh, optimistic. It's just who I am. I was born that way. And, uh, you know, when you and some of you, some of you in the audience may notice because you, you've worked at startups, you know, startups are tough. Right. And you got, you know, you're, you're trying to build something, you're trying to build a brand. You're trying to get everybody on the street to notice you. You don't have the resources. You, you, you learn how to tell the story of the business and what the business is going to bring to the table. But in actuality, it's a story. <laughs> okay. At the end of the day, we don't have all those resources. You're, you're using paper clips to put stuff together and all that type stuff. So we were going through uh, a tough little patch. You know, some of our things wasn't working. The, our, our employees, including myself, you know, we started to become a little negative. And you can't have that you, you, because at the end of the day, for the business to thrive is not as much about the, uh, the products and the technology. It's really about the passion of the individuals. If you don't have that, you're not going to have a business and you're not going to grow a business. So we were going through a little tough patch. And, you know, like I said, I've always been an inspirational so person. So one day I, uh, I went to the CEO and I said, hey, look, I want to send out just a quick little, a little message to the entire company. Right. So I, I came up with this little motivational quote and I sent it out to everybody. And then the feedback, everybody was like, this is awesome. Thank you, Tony, blah, blah, blah. And then, so I was just going to do that just that one time. Right. And then uh, my CEO, he was like, Tony, that was great. Really appreciate you doing that. So because he gave me, you know, positive uh, reinforcement, you know, I was like, maybe I'll do this once a week. So I think the next week I did it, but I added a couple of my friends on the, uh, the distribution list and it was just to the company. And I added a couple of people. Right. And then, so I went to lunch, I had sent it out. I went to lunch and I came back. And I saw my light on in my, on my uh, desk, my uh, voicemail light. Right. And I, uh, I picked up the phone. It was one of my friends saying, I didn't get my tidbit today. <laughs> and I started laughing. Then I heard the next <laughs> message. The next message says, where's my tidbit? Cause I had named it. I said, Tony tidbit. I just said, here's a tidbit, Tony. Right. And from that day, Tony tidbit was born. Right. And so I started sending out these motivational, inspirational quotes, emails on a daily basis at six o'clock in the morning. And then my team, as we went out and met with clients, they would tell people about it. And people would say, can you add me to the distribution list? Can you add me? Blah, 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 blah. 
And then eventually it just started growing. Okay. And then next thing I know, I had this distribution list and I was sending these emails out Monday through Friday at 6 15 in the morning and people all over were getting them. And it was, it was, it was exciting. And then I was like, wow, cause you never know. Um, but this was the key. I'll tell you this story real quick. This one, I knew it kind of took off. I went to this, um, um, to this uh, event and uh, me and a couple people from my job and we were there and we saw these two ladies standing on the other side. And they were looking at me and I was like, is it, they checking you? Out? I was like, for real? And then they sheepishly came over and they looked at me and said, excuse me, are you Tony Tidbit? And I started laughing. I was like, yeah, they're like, oh, we get your tidbits every morning, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I fell out laughing. So that's how Tony, the name Tony Tidbit started. And those emails, those inspirational uh, quotes still go out on a daily basis. It's been 15 years now. I still do it. I'm going to be doing it here. Every episode, you're going to get a Tony Tidbit uh, motivational quote that's going to encapsulate what we talked about today. So I just wanted to share that with you, um, where the name Tony Tidbit come. So legendary Les Fry, the amazing double A. You guys ready to dive into it a little bit further and talk about it? Oh, I'm ready. All right, let's talk about it, guys. So what are we going to talk about, Les? What, what's, what's, what's the title here that we want to focus on? Why is there still a glass ceiling? Which, to be honest, in 2023 makes no sense, okay? I mean, we've, 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 we've from a human uh, technology standpoint, we have become so advanced, okay? But still, you know, African-Americans, people of color still struggle in terms of advancement in corporate America. So we're going to dive into that a little bit and we're not going to dive in it just based on our opinions. Okay. We're going to use a company. And I don't know if you ever heard this company. It's called Coquil. You ever heard the word equal? It's called Coquil. Okay. Check them out. Go to their website. Plus we're going to put this research um, on our website so you can check it out. So let me tell you a little bit about like Coco. Okay. It says who we are. We are championing champions of equity, researchers of culture and creators of community who empower companies to create diverse and inclusive workplaces where every person belongs. Coquil is a global nonprofit think tank and advisory group that was founded in 2004 to address bias and uncover barriers to advancement for the unrepresentative populations in the workplace. We produce research that is unique in depth, breadth and rigor, tackling urgent workplace issues related to gender, race, ethnicity, disability, and LGBTQ identities. We offer concrete and actionable solutions. And that's the key. Our unique community, the Coco Task Force, is made up more of 100 member companies. These executives and practitioners are leaders in the diversity and inclusion movement. We provide them with the latest findings, events, educational opportunities, inspiration, and mutual connections. Our COCO advisory group provides consulting services that include cultural, audience, cultural audience, audits, sponsorship programs, anti-racism initiatives, and leadership development programs to help companies accelerate e equity from workplaces to the world. So we're going to dive into some research that they put together. Uh, and this research, the sponsor of this research is the Interpublic Group, Johnson & Johnson, KPMG, KPMG, Morgan Stanley, Pfizer, Unilever, and the Walt Disney Company. And the, the research is being black 
in corporate America. So if you're watching the video, you can see a little example of this. So all three of us are going to walk through some of the findings here um, that uh, these companies sponsor Coco to go ahead and put in the research and the equity and the time frame to really dive in and provide real metrics, not excuses, not people just saying, oh, this is messed up. Real findings and real research about being black in corporate America. Question. And let's let's just dive in really quick to some of the findings, right? So here in part one, and I love, you know, they break down the representation of black adults in the U.S. in terms of people who are what we call uh, executive senior leaders or above. So right now, Fortune 500 CEOs. There are from a representation of black adults, 0.8%. Executive leader, executive senior level, level officials and managers, 3.2%. Professionals, black professionals, 8%. College degree holders, 10%. Now, here's the kicker there, the population of African Americans here in the United States is 13%. Okay, 13%. Based on these numbers, what this is saying, that the number of CEOs in the United States at a Fortune 500 company is 0.8%. The number of people of color, black people, who are executive senior level officials and managers is 3.2%. Again, 13% to 0.8%. Right. Thirteen percent to three point two percent in executive senior level official and managers. OK, so how do and here's a quote by Michael C. Bush, who's the CEO of Great Place to Work. And he says black people lost ground when of color became the popular thing to say. OK, and so when he says when of color became the popular thing to say. What is he saying, Les? So I'm thinking that it's basically that we have to fit a quota of color. I'm believing that that's what it is, Uh, that when color became an issue and when color became the reason why we're hired or the reason why we're not hired. Um, But I'm, you know, if I heard that phrase for the first time, I would be kind of offended by that phrase. Like, why is that the case? But unfortunately, we live in a society that color is one of the most compelling things about our our society here. Mm -hmm. The one thing that holds us back is the one thing that, uh, you know, causes us to be at a disadvantage. So I'm very interested in that. I mean, what do you think that that means? So I think it means is that before it was about black people. Mm -hmm. Then when they said we need to hire people of color. That means anybody outside of being black. All right. So if we hire somebody that's Asian, (laughs) we hire somebody that's Hispanic, we hire somebody, you understand who's Mexican, whatever the case may be, they're of color. So then that checks that box that we have people of color versus we have black people. Okay. And you got to recognize too, back in the civil rights era, era where the civil rights legislation was written. Okay. Those were black people that was pushing for equal rights and for, you know, protections under the law. Right. And for equal opportunities at different companies and to get jobs and stuff of that nature. Right. 
So it was specific to African-Americans. However, then the, the nomenclature changed to of color. Does that make sense? So now, we, we, it, it, as long as we get certain groups of color involved, then we're, we're, we're doing what, we, what, we, what, what everybody expects us to, to do. That's my thought. And again, I'm not an expert, but that's my opinion. But our fight for equity here in the United States was for people of color. It was never one that was just relegated to us as black people. What has happened is that the society in which we fall under, the white society, has manipulated that nomenclature and changed it to that. We've always fought for the disadvantaged. I mean, every we've been fighting even before, even during the Jim Crow era and even when we weren't really fighting for equal rights as black people, we were fighting for people in internment camps, Japanese people in internment camps. It was black people who wrote those letters and got those people out of there. So it's the thing is that we, we've always been a force. The problem is, and we've always included everybody else that's disadvantaged. And this also means anybody from the LGBTQ community. It was always somebody of color who fought for that. It's what, how, the society that is the the wealthy society, the business owners have manipulated that language. And, and, and so this is the thing, and I'm not going to disagree with you here. My only thing I will say is that at the end of the day, when they were showing, you know, uh, uh, fire hoses that was being sprayed water on, those wasn't, those wasn't people of color. Those black people. Okay. When they were showing images of people being lynched, Okay, with white people standing around looking like they're at a regular barbecue. That wasn't people of color. That was black people. Okay, when when Thurgood Marshall went to, you know, uh, to the Supreme Court, okay, to uh, 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 break up desegregation in terms of schools, there wasn't no desegregation for, you know, anybody else but black people. Okay, so so at the end of the day, I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. And, and, And that's the point. The bottom line is other people are benefited and rightfully so. It's not, not, it should, everything should be, everybody, everything should be equal. But I'm just, I'm just being honest based on all the things that's gone on. When you look at these numbers and we're going to, we're going to have enough time to dive in deeper, but we will. If you see the percentage of Asian CEOs, it's a lot higher. Okay. It's way higher than 0.8. Okay. And we can go into it and women in the whole nine yards. So, so that's my take when it comes to that. I say that we are an inclusive society. We have always been. Black yeah. people have never had a problem with color. It's always been the society in which we lived in. And the thing is that when, when Martin Luther King was marching on Washington, D.C., if you think about his speeches, it was about anybody that was disadvantaged. And that means indigenous. That means black. That meant Mexican people that were working and being disadvantaged. It meant Japanese people in internment camps. So this is what I'm saying. The manipulation has not, I agree that that what we saw in society at the time that was happening to Black people in America, when we went on that march for our civil rights, we were putting everybody that was disadvantaged there. I totally, that's not, we're on the same page when it comes to that. I'm just saying who benefited of it, who benefit from it, right? And that's where Michael Bush here is saying, and I'll read his quote again, Black people lost ground when of color became the popular thing to say. So yeah, you're 100% right. We were fighting for everybody, right? At the end of the day, and guess what? We've seen advancements, right? But these numbers, 
based on our percentage of the population, based on the number of college grads, okay? You know, at the end of the day, these numbers are abysmal. And here's the kicker. They've always been abysmal and they haven't increased any further where, to be fair, and we'll dive into other, because we're going to get into it. But tell us the next part. Tell us about what, what do you find here, Les? So the interesting thing is that, you know, I've often heard that terminology. Well, the reason why black people don't succeed is because they don't want to work. Right. That's not true. But according to these statistics here, it says black professionals are more likely than white professionals to be ambitious. The problem is we're ambitious, but we're not given the advantages. So overall, black people are 65 percent more likely to be ambitious as opposed to white people, which is 53 percent. And with men, 67 percent of black men are more ambitious than white men, which is at 55 percent. And 63% of black women are more ambitious than compared to their white counterpart, which is 51%. So, so again, take the, the, um, take the, uh, the, uh, the uh, misnomer out that, oh, they really don't want to work. <laughs> oh, they're not that ambitious. Well, Coke will say flat out, that's not the case here, right? Based on their research and whether they looked at, right? And so at the end of the day, when we dive into this and we're going to do another episode, so you don't want to miss it because we're going to go deeper into these numbers. OK, and we want to ask we want to get your questions and get your thoughts in terms of these numbers. But the last thing that I'm going to dive into, OK, is that here it says black professionals see barriers to advancement that are largely invisible. To white professionals. OK, so. At the end of the day, we're, we're and, the, and the number says, while nearly two thirds of black professionals agree that they have to work harder than their colleagues to advance in their careers, very few white pro professionals see it that way. Most white professionals just aren't educated about or aware of this reality. OK, now, listen, like I said, we're running short on time, but I can tell you this and, 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 and we can spend you and I and double A can spend a whole hour just on this portion right here. Okay. But at the end of the day, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. You grew up in St. Louis. Double A grew up in New Jersey. Double A is in the, um, in the uh, entertainment field. So is you, but you're also in the media field. I'm in the media field. Okay. Three of us grew up totally different. We're in different industries. I've met people all over and guess what? I hear the same thing from everybody that I meet all over, no matter where they are from the exact same thing. So these aren't things that's being made up. These are things that are, that is real. And more importantly, Coco in their research is breaking it down. So we're going to come back less and double A and we're going to dive into this deeper, right? Because we, we want to share this with our audience and we want more importantly, we want everybody to be aware of these things, right? Not based on opinion, but based on fact, based on education. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Tony tidbit and friends. And why is there a glass ceiling with my co-host, the legendary Les Fry and our amazing producer, uh, Adrian Alvarado, who we call Double A. So now it's time for, as I talked about earlier, that we're going to be doing on every episode, Tony's Tidbit. And today's tidbit is a choir is made up of many voices, including yours and mine. If one by one all go silent, then all that will be left are nothing but soloists. Don't let a loud few determine the nature of the sound. It makes for poor harmony and diminishes that song 
and that's by Vera Nazarene, right? And so today, hopefully you enjoyed this song. You can see the three of us, we're not being quiet, <laughs> all right? We're singing. We're going to keep singing. Our voices are not going to be silent, right? So thanks for joining us. As I spoke earlier today, we want to scale this. As the tidbit says, we want a huge choir. We want everybody singing. We want to hear from everyone. So for that to happen, please give, go wherever you're watching this podcast, give us a rating so we can be able to scale this. Come to our website at ablackexecutiveperspective.com and sign up for updates so you'll be able to know when our new uh, podcast episodes are being released and other bonus information as well as the news, our newsletter that will be coming out soon, right? Follow us on social, Instagram, Twitter, which is X, and uh, 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 LinkedIn. Subscribe, subscribe, (laughs) subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. LinkedIn, YouTube at Tony Tidbit BEP. Again, for my host, who this will not, would, could not be possible, legendary Les Fry, double A. I'm Tony Tidbit. Come back and join us and let's talk about it. We're out. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tony Tidbit, a Black executive perspective, and for joining in today's conversation. With every story we share, every conversation we foster, and every barrier we address, we can ignite the sparks that bring about lasting change. And this carries us one step closer to transforming the face of corporate America. If today's episode resonated with you, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share this episode with your circle. And with your support, we can reach more people and tell more stories.